Thank you, Nancy. Do my best to respond to the top two or three. I totally don't have all the answers. My name's Matt. I'm one of the leaders. Sorry, I popped up earlier. Didn't say who I was. Surprise! Uh, but I'm still the same person. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. Now, we, we talk a lot here at Hope City about how the Bible is our absolute authority. And we say it's our authority over tradition, but we say it's also our authority over culture because we believe it is God's word to us. And we want to be a church that hears what God has to say to us through it and a church that tries then to put that into practice. But one of the challenges, whether it is on your own at home or whether you're in a small group meeting and talking about things or whether um, we're here together as a whole church, is understanding how what the Bible has to say applies specifically to us, to here and to now. See, it's an ancient book. Well, it's like a library of 66 ancient books, and they're from different genres. They're written at different times by different people to different people. At one end of the spectrum, at one end of the spectrum, there's stuff which you can simply pick up and import directly to where we are right now. Like when, like when Jesus told his disciples, do to others what you would have them do to you. Well, we're like, what does that mean for us? The answer is very simple. Do to others. Well, you would have them do to you. It means exactly the same thing to us. That's easy for us to translate. But you, you can't always pick up these ancient words and bring them straight into the present. And um, sometimes you'll see words written for someone else, somewhere else in some when else. Christmas is on my mind a lot just now. So think about some words from the Christmas story. You will conceive and give birth to a son and uh, call his name Jesus. Now, those are definitely not words for me. Phew. <sighs> But it's not always that simple to tell. These words are for me. These words are not for me. And there are two big dangers we face again and again as we try and make sense of what the Bible has to say to us, as we try and sit under the authority of what's written. One is thoughtlessly importing something written for somebody else, somewhere else, some when else, as if it applies directly to us. But the, that, that causes no end of trouble, right? The, the other end of the spectrum is a huge problem too. We just chuck out what it has to say. So we say, well, that wasn't for me. That's not written to me. That's got nothing to say to me. It's only for somebody somewhere else. It's handy, particularly if it's something you don't actually want to listen to or do what it says. You're like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I can just chuck it out and ignore it completely. So how do you walk the right line? Well, one of the things to say is it's not totally straightforward to do this. It's not obvious all the time. Um, we're inheritors of the 15th century Protestant Reformation of the church, so we, we believe the critical core of the gospel, that is how you can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ, is so clear that anyone can read that for themselves out of the Bible. And that's called the perspicuity of Scripture. Here's the ancient expression of that, if you want the fancy term. But that doesn't mean everything is so easy. So even as they set out this idea that anyone using ordinary means can get the gospel out of the Bible, they also say not everything is equally clear. And when something's unclear, we should recognize the Bible speaks with one voice. Voice. And so when something's unclear in one place, we can look to the wider Bible to help us understand what we should make of it. That's why whoever's preparing to speak each Sunday will have spent hours and hours thinking about the passage they're going to present, how we should rightly understand it. That's why we dig through big books written by clever people who know loads of stuff to try and understand it right. That's why there are loads of great books written for all kinds of Christians to help us understand what we're reading, why you can buy study Bibles. If you've never seen a study Bible, it's got like the text of the Bible down one side and all these notes 
on the edge that help you understand where this came from, what the context means, how you can understand it. Would totally, totally recommend those. Um, but this morning, I want to give you one tool I was taught about how to get this balance right. Um, and then we're going to use it together on today's passage to unpack it. It's a really simple principle. First, you notice what is different between you and the original audience. What's different? And um, that protects us from taking on board things we really shouldn't take on board. But second, you have to notice what we have in common still with that original audience to protect us from not taking on board things we really ought to listen to. So ready to give that a go? Try and put on those ears, okay? What do we share and what's different? Put those ears on as we listen to Jesus giving his marching orders to his 12 key disciples as he prepares them to be sent out. We're, we're in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're up to chapter 10, which is on page 975, if you want to find it in these blue Bibles. Matthew chapter 10, big 10, page 975. We're reading from verse 5, and Banke, I think, is going to read for us this morning, right? Am I right? Am I wrong? I don't think Banke is going to read for us today, because I don't think Banke is here. Jemima is going to read for us today. Thank you, Jemima. Sorry about that. That's me and my organization. Page 975, extra time today to find your words. Thanks, Jemima. Page 975. She's demonstrating how you find pages. You use the page numbers at the top, and you flick until the right one, and then she's going to look for the big 10. And then we're starting at verse 5. Thank you. I read. These 12... Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belt. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm going to stop there if that's okay. Thanks, Jemima. Thank you very much. So remember, we're looking what's different to guard us from picking up things we shouldn't from the text, and then we're looking for what's the same to guard us from ignoring things that we should be hearing, okay? So let's start with one key difference, right? We're living in a different phase of Jesus's mission. When these 12 are sent out, they're given these really clear instructions, do not go among the Gentiles, that is um, the people who are not Jewish, or entertaining any town of the Samaritans, that's a, another people group living nearby, a kind of mix of Jewish and other peoples. Don't go uh, among those peoples. Now, First question, should we be respecting these same boundaries, right? Should we? Of course not, because we're not them. We're not then. Uh, Jesus is beginning his mission with a special focus 
on God's ancient people because, because that was God's promise to them, to their ancient forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That phase of the mission is where this passage sits in the big story. That's where this restriction belongs in the big story. But Jesus is going to go on to commission these same followers to make disciples every, of every nation and a wider mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus' kind of parting commission to his people. And that, that's the global phase of the mission that we're still in. Now, there are a few more subtle differences we should notice as well. They're sent to somewhere that Jesus has already been. Somebody he's already been and already spoken and already acted. A few verses back, this is just back in verse 35 of the previous chapter, he went through all the towns and villages teaching and um, performing these signs. So he's sending them into a place where Jesus has already been, and he's sending them to a people who are longing for their promised Messiah and expecting a promised Messiah, a people Jesus had declared, this is ready to harvest. That is, they're ready to hear and respond to the message of hope and help. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus tells these disciples directly before sending them out. John 4.35, he tells his disciples the harvest is ripe, the harvest is ready. Now, we talked last week in the time of question and response about how much this is in common with our current situation, how much we live in that season of the harvest being ready or ripe. And it's not entirely clear that we live in that same moment. It certainly doesn't feel often like the people around us are ready and ripe for the harvest. It doesn't feel if they've got the same expectation of somebody coming to change everything and coming to rescue. And they certainly don't have the same direct experience of Jesus and his teaching. It's not where we are. Okay, so we're starting to chalk up a set of differences, but even as we do that, we're going to turn our heads to look at what we have in common here. Now, Jesus' description of the people he is sending these disciples out to as lost sheep um, is, um, it should make us think back a few verses about uh, Jesus just before had spoken about the crowds who he had compassion on because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It should help us remember that Jesus felt such compassion for the crowds around him. Now, Think about those around you in your everyday lives, in your ordinary world. How many of them do you feel like are wandering through life as if they were just like a sheep abandoned by its shepherd, left to go where it likes, not really sure what it should be doing, just going from one place to the next, wherever life carries them? How many people around you are like that? How many would say nobody cares for them? How many would feel like they're harassed, helpless, How many people need a good shepherd to bring them home by laying down his life for them? Now, perhaps then there is more in common with this ancient setting in our world today. After all, and lost is a really interesting way for Jesus to speak about this. Do you know what lost tells us right away? Lost tells us it wasn't always this way, right? You can't lose something unless it was yours to begin with. Lost tells us something's out of place. It's not where it belongs. And that's, that's the truth, right, for every human we encounter. We were made to be with God. We were made to be in relationship with him, and that's where we should be. And when we're, when we're alienated from him, when we're separated from him, when we're distant from him, then things are out of place. Something's been lost. So that's common between what we're reading and what we experience in our lives today, just like Jesus had compassion on the lost sheep of Israel, harassed and helpless, he, in the same way, he has compassion on the lost around you, around me. And just as he pursued these lost sheep of Israel, 
sending out his rescue mission for them. So he also pursues the lost around us and he sends us out in his rescue mission. See, we have a God who pursues what is lost. It's one of the big things that stood out to me from this passage. We have a God who pursues what's lost. He doesn't just write it off as collateral damage. Ah, well, lost some people, don't really care. I got loads of other ones. That's not how God thinks about this, you know? Small change, don't really care, can't be bothered picking it up. No, God, God goes after, sends us after the lost, cares about it. We have a God who pursues what's lost. He's actively searching for it. And how do you pursue what's lost around you? Well, um, here's Jesus' instructions. As you go, proclaim the message. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. But, but also, pursue them with signs that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. So show and tell, or rather, Jesus turns it around, right? Tell and show is the order that Jesus uses. But remember where we started today, okay? Is performing these signs a command for us? Should we lift this, heal the sick, raise the dead? Are these, are these commands for us? Or is it just something for that original audience? Back to this differences and commonality tool, right? First thing you should notice here, these 12 are given special authority by Jesus to perform these specific signs. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits, heal every disease and sickness. Now, we don't find a statement in the Bible where Jesus gives the disciples, all disciples, that same authority. Now, Jesus has it. He has all authority. I thought if we were going to sing our song, helping us remember a Bible verse, this would be the right place for it, all authority. But we're not going to today. We're going to skip over Or should we do this a little bit? All authority. Thank you. All authority in heaven, in heaven. We're going to go straight to the end. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus. Matthew 28, 18. The me there is Jesus, okay? Just... We don't have authority. Jesus has all authority, right? And Jesus doesn't make a statement like this, giving all of his disciples this authority. Uh, it's not generalized. And the command to heal is not generalized either. You don't find Jesus commanding his disciples every time he sends them out to heal everyone they run into. Now, it is true, signs and wonders accompany a few key advances of God's mission, of Jesus' mission, if you follow the story over into the book of Acts but they're not commanded, they're not universal to every advance of this. And uh, it only seems to be this moment where they're fundamental to what Jesus is trying to accomplish, where he specifically commands they be done as if there's something different going on in this phase of the mission. So we're on this differences side, we're like, okay, there are some differences. We should be cautious about picking these things up. We have to flip to the other side and think again about commonalities. We have to pay careful attention to what we do share. And there, there's an amazing commonality here that's easy to overlook, and uh, that is that God pursues what's lost through us. God pursues what's lost through us, and he, he, he chooses to, even though we might feel incompetent, we might feel messed up, we certainly are messed up, got that in common with these first disciples as well, by the way. But uh, um, 
God, in his wisdom, chooses to pursue the lost through us. Not just push us out the way and go do it himself. Like, oh, you're so irritating. You can't get anything right. You're so useless at this. Out the way, I'll come and do it. He sends us. He uses us. And that's been his way from the beginning. This passage is another step in Jesus drawing us into his pursuit of what's lost. As we do that, what are we to make of Jesus' directions for the practicalities of this mission? What to take? Where to stay? Well, here he says, travel ultralight. Right? Don't take money, don't take, don't take sandals that'd be sore on those bumpy roads. He says, depend completely on hospitality. Now, are those directions for our mission today as well? Is that the rule, say, for all missionaries that are sent to other countries? Is that the rule for, say, every member of church staff? Is that the rule for everybody carrying Jesus' message anywhere? Are these directions for us, for all of us? Well, if this is how it should work, we could afford a whole lot more missionaries, right? Because they cost us nothing. So that'd be kind of handy. But, but, do see here that God provides for his mission as he brings the disciples into pursuing what's lost, right? Jesus' directions presuppose that. He keeps them from taking things with them so that he can provide for them on the way. He keeps them safe on the road so they won't need a staff to defend themselves. He places worthy homes in each town that they can search for and find a place of hospitality, a place of care. Now, mission can't always work that way. When we talked about how these towns were ripe and ready for Messiah, our context is very different. Imagine going to maybe uh, going to a, uh, a remote tribe or going to a, a challenging inner city situation where you don't have that same ripeness to build on. But we should hold on to something here that is this common ground that God will provide for his mission, like he provides for this mission here. He does that still. He provides for his mission in mundane ways, and he provides for his mission in really surprising ways. I've got a, a picture frame in my office. I want to take a picture of it, but I wasn't here, that says this, these words, what God orders, he pays for, and a $100 note underneath it as my personal testimony to that. I was at this conference, uh, imagining with other leaders how our churches might advance, how we might pursue this mission in larger and bigger ways. And I was wondering, how could we possibly pay for all of this? Out of the blue, an American hands me a brown envelope, Stuff with cash. Uh, apparently, somebody back home gives him a stack of envelopes every time he comes to a conference and says, hand these out to the people God directs you to. What God orders, he pays for. He can provide for his mission. He provides for his mission always. And we believe that. We believe that God provides for the mission he calls us into. So that's common ground number one. Uh, and a another thing, I guess, just as we're passing in here, okay. Um, the worker is worth his wage, a quick aside here, or worth his keep, as it appears um, over in Luke's gospel. Uh, no, worth his keep in Matthew's gospel, worth his wage in Luke's gospel. Similar words. Um, this same phrase is picked up and quoted as a teaching of Jesus in, uh, in 1 Timothy by um, some of the early followers common ground, a standard pattern that's been true from the days of the first disciples. But notice about this provision, okay? This is a, a worker's keep. That's what's in view. That's the word used here. That's the, the daily food portion. That's not his private jet. Um, those sent out on mission, those working for the gospel, should earn a living from their work. Uh, not a fancy one, but they absolutely should earn enough to live on. Now, sorry, one final stop in this passage. I know that's a bit of an aside, but just as we're passing through, we'll talk about that. What do we make of Jesus's instructions about people who won't receive this message? His instructions about leaving and shaking off the dust when you are rejected. 
think this is a general pattern for us today? Or is this something specific to that original context? This matters, right? This is important. What are we meant to do when somebody doesn't welcome the message of the kingdom? So last time, let's do what's different, what's common. Let's see where we get to. First up, we're not all roving missionaries going town to town on Jesus's follow-up visits. Like most of us are settled for the medium term in one place. So we should be cautious taking these instructions for ourselves right away. Uh, more importantly, we're not in the middle of a people longing for a Messiah. At least, at least we're not in the middle of a people who know that they're longing for a Messiah. People who are actively expecting one. These words can feel a bit harsh, uh, a bit judgmental. You know, we like to think about Jesus as being really huggy and friendly and loving and always nice. But this feels, it's judgment coming for them. It's going to be worse than these kind of epitome cities of God's um, judgment. If it feels a bit sharp, perhaps we should give some more weight to the original context. See, people knew that somebody was coming. They knew what signs would accompany the person who was coming. And those signs were the ones being done right in front of their noses. Remember a few weeks back, we were talking about the last two signs recorded of Jesus in this long list of demonstrating his authority. And the last two signs were opening the eyes of the blind and loosing the tongues of the mute. Signs that pointed clearly to who it was that was doing that. It was God himself come to rescue Faced with these signs, some of those watching, we said, closed their eyes, the opposite of having them opened, cover their ears, the opposite of getting the tongue loose, and choose to reject. We saw that sort of shaking off the dust, that moving on a couple of times in the story of the earliest church. Each time you get this, it's after a rejection by Jews who should have known better. So I think we're seeing these instructions about shaking off the dust, moving on. I think they're for a different context to the setting we find ourselves. It's not for us to move on when we're not welcomed or listened to. We need to take the more challenging path, I think, of being and speaking of the kingdom coming, of gentle, patient presence and persistence in pursuing what's lost. But I guess there's one thing in common that I want to leave you with this morning, and that is something we share with all these disciples. The reality that some are going to embrace the message of the kingdom and others are going to reject it. Now, that's true when you or I present the message of the kingdom with our own fumbling words, when we live out the reality of being a part of this kingdom in front of people, and it's pretty unimpressive. But that rejection and welcome is also true when you sock them in the eyes with miracles right in front of them and these wonderful signs. Some people will reject and some will embrace the message of the kingdom. These two responses are our common ground even with those first disciples. And when they're rejected, ignored, like sometimes we are rejected and ignored, you know what they had to do? They had to pick themselves up and keep going. Exactly what we have to do when we're rejected, when we're ignored. And the reason this is so important is our final piece of common ground for today. Through this same message that we're proclaiming, this message of Jesus who's come as Messiah, as Savior, and as Lord, instead of judgment, some find peace. Some find a peace that lasts. Some find a peace which will rest upon them is how this kind of passage expresses it. Instead of judgment, they find peace. 
And it's not just peace in the sense of the absence of war. That's one way for us to think about what peace is, right? When do you have peace? When people aren't fighting anymore? No, this is peace in the bigger sense of the Hebrew word shalom. This is a peace where everything is right. Everything is as it should be. Everything is in its place. Everything as it was made to be. And going back to that picture of lost, well, this peace is found. That's what it means. Back home. Finally home because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, no longer lost. So that's what I want to leave us with. That's what I think our big takeaway here should be, that God pursues what's lost through us. Let me pray, and then we'll have a chance to think and talk about this some more. Oh, Lord God, thank you that we are not just collateral damage to you, not just trivia that's lost and can be discarded, not just uh, something you misplace and never think about again, but that we are precious to you. Thank you for the clear picture we see in Jesus of how you pursue what is lost how you send your own son in pursuit of that. Help us to see your love for us, uh, our significance in your eyes, even though uh, we feel and we are so small. Help us to see um, that we're treasured, that you want us to be found. Thank you for this great truth that you don't just pursue the lost uh, in Jesus, but that you join us into that mission, that you send us out as you sent these very first disciples out in pursuit of what was lost, that it might be lost no more, that there might be peace, rightness, that things would be put back to where they should be. Lord, you know, uh, so often we feel useless and hopeless and helpless in this mission. So often our words as we attempt to proclaim the kingdom of heaven has drawn near are mumbled and stumbled and fumbled. So often, um, the extent to which we can be and let people experience that kingdom coming is so trivial and small and weak. And yet you still reach through us, you still save. Oh Lord, please, might your kingdom come. Might we get to see it, Lord. Might we get to see that happening through us as you send us out. Please help us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Matt, for sharing all you've learned this week. Um,